My name is Maria Lewis and I'm the host of Josie and the Podcats, a six-part limited podcast series about the 2001 cult classic Josie and the Pussycats. And I'm producer Blake Howard and welcome to a bonus episode of Josie and the Podcats. (laughs) Not just any bonus. This bonus episode is all about Deja. And strap yourself in, Blake, because if there's any opportunity for unending Jonas Brothers jokes, it's on this motherfucking episode. I don't want to write these jokes, but I just can't stop. (laughs) And this can't stop. And yes, uh, anyone who may have been listening to the previous episodes probably got a slight inkling that we're um, Chappelle fans. Anyway, I've been looking forward to this for a long time because as we've been doing these interviews and research and putting this podcast together over the past year, it started to become incredibly clear to me that, yeah, okay, you could fit DeJoy into the episodes on development, production, soundtrack, legacy, like like so many of our main episodes. But really, the Backdoor Lovers, Q Blake. Backdoor Lovers. Deserve their very own episode because, well, nobody rocks the mic like DeJoy. Yeah. Nobody rocks the mic like earlier Josie and the Podcast Epps development and production, writers and directors Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont put together this Josie and the Pussycat script and then later the movie itself that was a parody of the music industry at that specific time, the year 2000. Now, it was a commentary on consumerism and commercialism and capitalism and what better example to embody all of that than an entity that was at the peak of their powers right then. Boy bands. Back streets, back, all right. Now, to be fair, historically, boy bands had been around for an age. Like, the Beatles are a boy band. The Beach Boys, Jackson 5, the Osmonds, they all count as boy bands. But that definition started to mutate in the late 80s, leaning into the 90s. And by the end of the noughts, it was all over with One Direction and Five Seconds of Summer, Five Sauce on the streets, marking kind of the end of the westernized version of that, while BTS and the legacy of K-pop bands took over in earnest. But there was a specific period that changed the definition of the word boy band, or at least cemented it because a boy band is not just a band full of boys. That would make Metallica a boy band. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it? That'd be sick. Yep. NWA, a boy band. Uh, Wu-Tang Clan, a boy band. Which, boy band. Firstly, they ain't nothing to fuck with. And secondly, lol. So the sound of a boy band is less like this. And more like this. OG boy bands that shaped the sound of the genre, though, weren't like the Backstreet Boys or NSYNC, the two big names that people remember. 
They weren't white. New edition, boys to men, black street. They put out the best music of the boy band pop R&B subgenre and originated the formula which acts like new kids on the block, 98 degrees, take that and many others would follow. Getting paid is a forte each and every day. True play away. I can't get her out of my mind. Wow. I think about the girl all the time. Wow, wow. To satirize the music industry in 2000-2001, skewering boy bands had to be an essential part of that. Is everything from the charts and bleach blonde tips to cultural appropriation and to the Max Martin pop bubblegum sound was dominating the culture. Even South Park had poked fun at the phenomenon in their fourth season with an episode titled Something You Can Do With Your Finger, <laughs> which aired right in the middle of Josie and the Pussycats' physical production in Vancouver, Canada. Now, DuJour opened the movie and from the soul patches to Seth Green's character Travis wearing a literal hat on a hat, people who loved this movie instantly understood what DuJour meant. Here's Forrest Satchel, our expert on the Hanna-Barbera Josie and the Pussycats animated series from our first episode on history. Oh, I was in by Backdoor Lover. The man, the Backdoor Lover never showed up. I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> I immediately got it. Like the second bat started, I'm like, okay, I get this. This is going to be amazing. And I just remember laughing so much and then immediately going, I have to have the soundtrack right now. <laughs> You know, yeah, it was definitely a movie I fell in love with in the first 10 minutes. I was so in. And I got what the movie was saying. And, you know, I totally got, you know, that it was really a social commentary on all the boy bands at the time and all the marketing of, you know, Britney and Christine and all that. I totally got that right away and that they were poking fun at it. And I just thought that was brilliant. You know, so I was like, yeah, I've been in love with that movie since, you know, the first 10 minutes I saw it. As Deb said in our last ep production, she and Harry had come up through the grunge era and it was hard not to feel like something insidious was going on with the music industry as people became brainwashed into conformity. To take the piss at not just boy bands, but the boy band sound, they had to get someone to recreate it. And that man was Kenny Babyface Edmonds. Kenny Edmonds might be a name you only recognize if you're in the industry, but the moniker Babyface, you know. He's a legendary music entity who's won 11 Grammys and written and produced songs for the likes of Whitney Houston, TLC, Tony Braxton, Madonna, Mariah Carey, Michael Jackson, Cisco, and his own boy band, Drew Hill, Ariana Grande, and crucially for this project, NSYNC. It's gonna be me. Here's Devin Harry talking about bringing Kenny in to manifest what DuJour would sound like. Then Kenny brought in like the DuJour sound, like we never would have been able to produce that nonsense. You know, we wrote the lyrics like in the back of a car, like nobody rocks the mic like DuJour, right on your motorbike with DuJour. We were in the back of a car, I don't even know where we were going. We were, scout, we were in Vancouver. We were we were had to do we were scouting in Vancouver and we needed the other DuJour. The Factor Lover was in the script, uh, but we needed that other DuJour song they were going to play. So we were like, oh, let's just write the most inane <laughs> song funny. possible. A lot of the heat and love is directed at the songs Josie and the Pussycats sing in the movie, correctly so. But considering there's only two DuJour tracks on the soundtrack, they have a pretty heady legacy of their own. 
Here's Amanda Wilkinson, one of my oldest friends and front woman of the band Bossy Love. She started a teenage rock band, Operator Please, after being so inspired by the Josie and the Pussycats movie. But we'll get to that in a later episode. She's also the genius behind the Josie and the Podcasts theme song that you hear each ep, and her music has a few winks to du jour around the world. Oh <laughs> my God, du jour. Far out. I still love that song too. Do you know what's so funny is that there are some noises in that song which I use in the Bossy Love songs. <laughs> what? I love, yeah, there's some like samples. Hey, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. No, there's some kind of, there's similar samples from that. Nobody rubs them like they did, yeah. And like, um, like that, that whole area of like R&B, which is hilarious because they were like a bunch of white boys. But that whole area of R&B, like, which is like bass and groove led, that is like my shit. And so I still, I still love that song, even though it's supposed to be like jokey and lame or whatever. But there's still some like sample noises in there, which you can hear in bossy songs. Yeah, this is a life. I'm traveling around the world with Tisha, living a dream and meeting different girls on too. Always thought that we would blow up just like this. We always hoped that one day things would turn out and they did. Jour had a big influence on was Charlie Bliss, who we're massive fucking fans of on this show. And again, we have more of them coming up in the Legacy episode, but here's just a wee bit from frontwoman and guitarist Eva Hendrix and her brother, drummer Sam Hendrix from Charlie Bliss. Yeah, Eva, Eva and I both had huge pop punk phases that lasted a very long time and still are still, yeah. <laughs> still seeping into our musical taste now. And I, yeah, these are just objectively like great pop-punk songs, and let's also not forget about Du Jour. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> we were boarding the plane to Sydney uh, just, like, two days ago, and just as, like, a reflex, we were just, like, singing along to Backdoor Lover, yeah. word for word, and, like, with all the riffs and everything. Exactly. Oh. Sam's favorite riff of all time is in Backdoor Lover. Now, Backdoor Lover opens the movie. The lyrics and the choreography, which the boys made up themselves, are one of the most memorable parts of Josie and the Pussycats, even though as a band, they only have a few minutes of screen time. In fact, Josie herself, Rachel Lee Cook, told me DuJour are her favourite part of the movie, even nearly 20 years later. DuJour was made up of Seth Green, Donald Faison, Brecken Meyer, who was engaged to writer and director Deb Kaplan at the time, and Alexander Martin playing Travis, DJ, there always has to be a band member with an initial name, Marco and Liz. Like we mentioned in earlier eps, all of the lads had come over from Deb and Harry's debut movie, Can't Hardly Wait, where with the exception of Seth Green, who had a bigger part, all the others had small but memorable cameos. That was back in 1997, and when they got around to shooting Josie and the Pussycats in 2000, all of the DuJour members were blowing up in various ways. Brecken had been in the second best Nightmare on Elm Street movie, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Great one. The greatest. Well, the second greatest. Second greatest. Second greatest. Then back-to-back teen hits, Clueless and The Craft, before the ill-fated 54, Go, Road Trip, and Rat Race, which dropped just after Josie did in 2001. In summary, he was popping up in a lot of stuff and had become a familiar 90s face, just like his BF Seth Green, (laughs) who had been working since he was a kid, but had also hit this amazing run of Idle Hands, which is low-key, one of my favorite horror comedies, so good. 
enemy of the state, your boy Tony Scott Blake. <laughs> fucking can't can't let a cut ride. Um, Austin Powers sequel, The Spy Who Blowing Shagged up. Me. Oh, Scotty. Scotty Don't. Scotty Don't. Rat Race. And seminally for me as someone who has a guru-ar tattoo, the werewolf who loved a witch and executed dry delivery on the daily, Oz in Buffy the Vampire Slayer from 1997 to 2000. We should figure out what kind of deal this is. I mean, is it a gathering, a shindig, or a hootenanny? What's the difference? Well, gathering is brie, mellow song stylings. Shindig, dip, <laughs> less mellow song stylings, perhaps a large amount of malt beverage. And hootenanny, well, it's chock full of hoot, just a little bit of nanny. Now, Donald was shooting Scrubs, which hadn't come out yet and gone on to become that iconic comedy that it would, but he was on a streak too. The Clueless movie, which Brecken was in, the Clueless TV show. Interestingly, another Archie comic spinoff property co-created by the same man, Dan DiCarlo, who was behind Josie, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and Remember the Titans. With limited time with the lads as they were on their ascent, a lot of the du jour magic came down to their chemistry as a quartet. Like, yeah, okay, Kenny Babyface Edmonds had carefully crafted those songs. Deb and Harry had come up with those hilarious lyrics and that killer dialogue, but there was plenty of improvisation as well outside of the choreography and what the guys pulled together to wear. They filled those archetype boy band roles of the cute one, the bad one, the closeted one, the ethnically ambiguous one, the sensitive one, the one that can actually sing one and so on. All four of them were close mates in real life, giving them more safety and comfort to fuck around and push the boundaries. In fact, they're still tight. Here's Rachel, Deb, and Harry. I saw Seth the other day. Well, and Rachel was there too because of course. Do you say du jour means friendship and then just leave? <laughs> you don't even have to say it. You know? <laughs> we know. We know. Du jour means unspoken. <laughs> that was the easiest That thing. was just a, hey, that's my fiance. And Seth. And we had known Seth from Can't Hardly Wait. And Donald, so we can't hardly wait. Yeah, I mean, we had worked with all those guys. and Once it became, the hard thing was, uh, how many days is it? Because it's really, it's like they were all working, and it's how many days is the schedule. So we figured out how to make it two days for them. It was one day on the tarmac, and then another day on the interior of the plane. And then there was this other day floating with where they had to come back in the big showdown. In the body cast. And yeah, so that's why they're in body cast, because it's not them. And obviously it's not them. But it was like, all right, how are we going to do this? Because we couldn't we couldn't get them there for three days, and the schedule wouldn't have worked out even to shoot that section that day anyway. Adding another layer to it, Donald knew about the churn and turn of the manufactured boy band machine intimately. His younger brother had been in one called Imagine, who had just the one album come out through Jive Records before they got chewed up and spat out by the industry as another Jive act took off instead, Britney Spears. And they weren't the only ones. The Brits had a crack with Five, which was, well, they brought their cake to the war fam, <laughs> but there was also Westlife, Boyzone, Blake's personal favourite. A17, baby! Baby! Take that from the UK. Bone Thugs and Harmony and Drew Hill added some melanin to the conversation and both featured on Mariah Carey's best album, Butterfly, while Culture, spelt K-U-L-C-H-A, <laughs> <laughs> for me personally, growing up as a mixed-race polykid in Australia, were the shit. They even popped up as the musical guests in season one of Heartbreak High. Seeing four Māori and Samoan men absolutely crushing those dance moves and delivering the vocals of their biggest hit, Shaka Jam, was a capital M moment. <laughs> Boom, 
purest form out of Otorua, which were more boys to men, the Backstreet Boys, but were hugely significant because they were the first all Polynesian group to have major chart success in New Zealand, which hadn't really happened since Poirier became a phenomenon in 1984. In Australia, human nature were an ever-present force during that same period of the 90s before they trotted off to Vegas and started doing a Jersey Boys-esque show, which was a fitting tribute to the OG origins of boy bands. And Blake... I gotta ask outside of E17, what was your favorite boy band? Uh, has to be Boys to Men. Boys to Men? Yeah. Motown Philly, back again. You're just saying that because we just rewatched Longshot really recently and no, it's like 100%. The best no, like Boys to Men were the the pinnacle. You know, I, I, I kind of had been exposed to boy bands with like E17 as we j- sort of joked about and Bone Rust Thugs. And girls. <laughs> but Boys to Men are the OG and they were always my favorite. And so they were always like the pinnacle African American sort of art. And then mm. it felt like the next behemoth that came through was Backstreet Boys. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, I love Boys to Men, but it was like Blackstreet. Uh, pretty much anyone who featured on a Mariah album, which obviously <laughs> yeah. like Boys to Men did, but Bone Thugs and Harmony were. A huge one for me and I'd interviewed them multiple times over the years because they always come out and tour in Australia. Drew Hill. Yeah. Like (laughs) West, Wild Wild West. So good. Do you ever see the video of that live performance where um, they perform Wicked Wicked Wild Wild with Will Smith at the VMA Awards and he comes out on a fucking horse? No. It is the pinnacle of like 90s boy band <laughs> shit. It's crazy. I can't check it out. Seriously, it's so good. We'll include a link in our show notes because it's fucking amazing. And DuJour dropped in the middle of all of that. Looking back on it now, it's a pretty amazing time capsule. I'm your backdoor lover. Coming from behind all the lights. Backdoor lover. Just you and me, you know it has to roll. Backdoor lover. Let me meet you there at the Dressing the Pussycats was a box office flop and didn't do great critically either. Its emergence as a cult film in the past 10 years or so is partially to do with DuJour being so on point in its commentary. There are people on social media every day who use DuJour gifts, not knowing where they come from, and even folks who found the movie because of DuJour memes. DuJour means friendship. DuJour means seatbelts. A Josie and the Pussycats sequel might have never been a viable option, but according to Deb and Harry, DuJour and the sentiment surrounding them endured so much so that a Josie and the Pussycats spin-off movie was on the cards a few years back, and it was centred on DuJour. We almost did a DuJour movie a couple years ago. Yes, we pitched, we actually pitched it with Seth and Brecken to Netflix. To Netflix. Um, yeah, and it was almost, it was all, but it was, it was before Popstar. And essentially, it would have been Popstar. Popstar's so good. <laughs> that would have been incredible. Yeah. It was all about them reuniting. Like, they had a massive falling out. And it was, you know, because... But we couldn't was- call it DuJour. Because yes. that was, you know, we just kind of named it something else. We, it, it was going to be DuJour, but we were going to call it something else. Because we didn't have the right to I think the Sugar Babes, when they got back together, well, they wanted to for It was It was Forsome. I would give my left hit to see that movie, Forsome, <laughs> with all the boys, Seth, Brecken, Donald, Alexander, back in the saddle. But Harry and Deb have a point. The Lonely Island and Judd Apatow had put out pop star Never Stop Never Stopping in 2016 from Universal, interestingly enough. The same studio who did the Josie and the Pussycats movie originally, and like that, it too was a flop. 
Besides it being very good and very funny and very witty, Andy Samberg playing a grown-up riff on Justin Bieber does tackle a lot of those similar themes a du jour movie would, and even the music, which of course The Lonely Island had honed into a sharp point over a handful of albums, is very du jour-esque in a 2016 updated kind of way. I'm not gay, but if I was, I would want equal rights. I'm not gay, but if I were, I would marry who I like. It's not fair, I'm not gay, that the government has to say. And who can love who not gay, or to which God you can pray on a gay. It gets me so angry on behalf of them. I feel passionate, not gay. So I pray for them, and I say for them, we need to make a change, not gay. I see it clear as day, this area is not great titties. We need equality, and for all to see that this is the new way. Not gay, it just seems not gay, wrong, not gay. That no one seems to care, sports. We can't continue to pretend this not gay madness has to end, not gay. Maybe one day we'll get foursome, that Dijon movie, and maybe we won't. But one thing we'll always have is that perfect few minutes with our backdoor lovers. Thanks for the memories. And you know what I want to do, maybe. We can get together at your place tonight. So open your back door tonight. Coming up on the next episode of Josie and the Podcats soundtrack we dive deep into how the best debut album from a band that never existed got created and we speak to those songwriters producers the singers you name it be sure to subscribe to this show so you're the first to know about all the upcoming episodes and the bonus ones like this one du jour means chuck us a rating and review to help other people find it as well this episode of Josie and the podcasts was researched written and presented by me maria lewis and produced by me, Blake Howard. Our podcast artwork was done by the extremely talented Amy Reed, who you can find on Instagram at, at ai.me.me or via email at amy.reid, R-E-I-D, 0310 at gmail.com. And our jerkin theme, of course, is courtesy of Amanda Wilkinson and Edward Organ. Amanda's band Bossy Love has a brand new album out. It is called Me Plus You. You can find it everywhere. It is awesome. Check it out. If you know someone who's hearing impaired and would enjoy this show, written versions of every episode, including the bonus apps, are available online at Graffiti with Punctuation. The link is in our show notes. Until next time, who's a rock star? Josie in the podcast.